when you can't leave your house and we're locked down, the level of child abuse keeps going up and up and up. And a lot of times there's nobody coming in to, to check on those kids or they don't have a touch point. Their teacher can't see them, their coach, their their friends, parents, their friends. So sadly, our kids are probably at higher risk 10 months into this lockdown for sure. That's Sheldon Kennedy, former National Hockey League player and is a leading advocate for abused children. He's our guest today on the Akamemuk Podcast. Tanse, Tuwao, and welcome to the Akamemuk Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders, and community leaders. And our guest today is the definition of Akamemuk. Sheldon Kennedy played eight years in the National Hockey League with Detroit Red Wings, the Calgary Flames, and the Boston Bruins. As a teenager, he led the Swift Current Broncos to a Memorial Cup championship, the best team in junior hockey. But it was also at Swift Current that Kennedy was sexually abused for years by his coach, Graham James. When Kennedy revealed this abuse publicly towards the end of his pro career, Graham James was convicted and sent to prison. He has since been convicted for the abuse of several more players. For Kennedy, this marked the start of a life dedicated to supporting and speaking out for sexual abuse survivors. His leadership, including founding the Child Advocacy Center in Calgary and the Respect Group, saw him being awarded the Order of Canada. Sheldon Kennedy, welcome to our Akamemuk podcast. Thank you, Perry. Thanks for having me on. Okay. So, Sheldon, we're 10 months into this COVID-19 lockdown. I'm curious, from your perspective, what are you hearing about how this is affecting the levels of child abuse and our ability to help those being abused? Well, I, I think that, uh, um, I don't think, I know that, uh, you know, the, the, the level of child abuse has gone up um, and the level of abuse in general, whether it's domestic violence or whatever, has gone up. Um, we know that the majority of child abuse cases uh, happen in the home or by somebody that the child uh, uh, knows or is a, is a caregiver. So, um, you know, I think that uh, a lot of times uh, what we know is that kids leave the house to go to some place safe. And that whether it be your school, your recreation facility, um, you know, a friend's place that, that might be safe. Um, and when you can't leave your house and we're locked down, um, those kids don't have those escapes so that the level of child abuse keeps going up and up and up. And, uh, um, and a lot of times there's nobody coming in to, to check on those kids or they don't have a touch point. Their teacher can't see them, their coach, their, their friends, parents, their friends. Um, so, uh, sadly, uh, these issues, uh, um, you know, are not going down and our our kids are probably at higher risk uh, 10 months into this into this lockdown for sure. Do you see any answers to that? What do you, like, I know the vaccines are coming, you know, so there's some hope with the vaccines coming to Canada. But with the COVID-19 and the lockdown, the numbers, like you say, are going up and there's not much, uh, I don't, I'll call it support mechanisms in place yeah. for these young children. Do you have any ideas or suggest what, what could possibly be done in this pandemic to deal with this? 
Well, I mean, you know, I think it goes back to whether we're in COVID or not in COVID. I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, um, you know, I mean, I guess if we look at the numbers coming out of the, the now Calgary Child Advocacy Centre, mm-hmm. most child advocacy centres across this country, I mean, just in the Calgary <clears throat> region, um, you know, uh, I know we were we were averaging um, 2,000 investigations of the most serious nature uh, a year, um, and that we felt we were only reaching 10% of the kids, but 50% of those kids, uh, the investigations were happening um, within the home, and uh, 95% of those investigations were happening from somebody that the child knows. So, you know, our perception mm. of uh, individuals that, that uh, you know, are criminals or that, you know, hurt people that are, you know, lurking around trees wearing balaclavas uh, isn't real in these cases. So I think if we look at COVID and what it's made us do, uh, stay home or, you know, stay to those closest to us, um, in a lot of instances, uh, you know, when, when uh, those kids aren't safe, they are stuck. And I think, you know, one of our biggest challenges is, is really understanding the impact that this, that this crime has on our children and the long, long lasting impact. You know, we talk about the scars that last a lifetime. I mean, they are real. And, you know, I think that we need to give these issues and, and the, the, you know, um, and to be able to understand, uh, you know, that this is a health matter. This is a significant health matter, and you know we look at the you know we look at the the impacts of abuse and the you know how it you know drives children to addiction, to depression, to all the mental health issues, to anger, to shame, to guilt, to you name it. I mean, you name it, right? And you know it's it's uh, those are significant issues that we deal with as a country, uh, as a community. Um, the costs are overbearing. Um, and I think we need to be able to give, you know, be able to, I guess, you know, position resources to be able to uh, understand the reality uh, of the outcomes of, of this type of behavior, right, within yeah. our communities. Okay. Well, well, Sheldon, we've known each other for a number of years now, and uh, and I earlier on I've said that you're really a great example of what Akamemuk really means which is perseverance and never to give up um how have you how have you been able to do that you know uh, all these years you know the all the the hardships and the the abuses that you suffered how have you been able to endure tell our listeners like how have you yeah. been able to deal with that well i think perry like uh you know i went from you know uh, a kid that um was just small town kid like on the farm like, mm-hmm. you know middle of middle of right on the border of manitoba saskatchewan and and uh, just so excited to be able to get an opportunity to go play junior hockey and, and then i meet this individual and and um you know and couldn't imagine in my wild you know in my dreams of you know w- what was going to happen and um you know i found myself in a position uh where you know, addiction was taking over my life, you know, alcohol, drug abuse, mm-hmm. um, you know, risky lifestyle, uh, all of that stuff. And the dream of being a hockey player left me when I met uh, Graham James. And I think um, I didn't know why I, I didn't know what was happening to me. I couldn't explain it to anybody because it happened so long ago. And, you know, uh, you know, 2020, 20, well, I guess I was 
14 at the time. So, you know, 30 years ago and mm. over 30 years ago, um, you know, we didn't talk about this stuff. So yeah. I remember the fear of telling anybody and who's going to believe me because I've been this troublemaking kid that's, you know, that drunk and that's the way I've been positioned. And so anyway, I remember um, when I saw Graham, when I got traded from the Detroit Red Wings to the Calgary Flames, and I saw Graham outside the locker room. He was a coach in the Calgary Hitman at the time. And uh, and I saw him with these young kids. I just knew to myself, my life was out of control at the time. And I just knew that if I didn't do something, I, A, I, I needed to stop him from hurting other kids. Mm-hmm. And I needed to save my life because I was very suicidal. And, um, and my wife was pregnant with our daughter, Ryan, at the time. And I would never be the father and the parent and the husband that I wanted to be unless I dealt with this stuff. So um, that's how I I told my story, and I didn't think anybody was going to believe me. And I remember um, getting to the point where um, it was in 1997, and I was Canada's Newsmaker of the Year. Mm -hmm. And and I remember looking in the newspaper, and and there was Terry Fox, Rick Rick Hansen, bunch of prime ministers and so forth and then i was newsmaker of the year in 97 and i thought to myself well frick i haven't even done anything here so i'm gonna put on a pair of rollerblades and rollerblade across the country and i and i gotta say perry like probably the thing that kept me going across this country was all the disclosures and the support and the people Hmm. that came out and just said keep going sheldon keep going thank you sheldon and i can tell you that i visited um you know, there was communities, and I remember going into Big Cove, and, you know, I remember going, like, you know, we visited, you know, communities and, and First Nations communities, Aboriginal communities across this country, and we, I remember being drummed in and having ceremonies within rinks, mm-hmm. and I remember people telling us, they said, this rink has not been filled in years and years and years and years, and it was a time when I think we came together, not just me personally but it was the first time that i didn't feel alone and i think it was and you know and that was the that's what i was given when i was welcomed into these types you know into communities but also um i think what i gave them was a voice um around issues that uh how they'd been hurt um and and men uh not just the women but also the men and i think um you know and being able to connect the dots and around the residential school and yeah. You know, and I think the incidences were different, but one thing that's really stuck with me is that the impact is very consistent. And that's one thing that I will never, ever forget is that, and that's the most relatable place for conversation is that, you know, the time, the place, the person uh, is different. But, but how we were hurt and how we were impacted and what, what we were left with uh, to live our lives with. Uh, because of what happened to us was very consistent and I think that was the most common place for conversation but um, you know that's I went across the country and we had conversations like that Perry and I you know and I remember when I first told my story it was not uh, uh, everything just didn't go away I had a I had a, a lot of wreckage that I had to deal with and a lot of damage of what happened to me and and i remember i went to a treatment center and uh and i managed to get sober but i was really struggling with spirituality and i think Mm -hmm. i told you the story too and uh you know and i and i ran into a friend of mine um who you know who worked with the medicine man up in uh, sandy lake and we went on a four-day fast 
out in the Nordag area and, and uh, you know, and it was a place where I actually, because I think when you're abused, you lose your ability to trust because you're hurt by somebody that you, you trust. That's right. And that's a big deal. That's a lot bigger than what people think, because how are we supposed to trust in the spirits and in the creator for somebody that, you know, we, we are have, you know, that that's about trust. That's mm-hmm. about belief. That's about right. And so for me, um, that was a huge part of my recovery and still is today. And, and um, because it gave me that trust and it brought that, you know, it brought the spirits in for me to actually believe that I'm not alone. Mm. Right. And that was really important to me. So. That's that's a very powerful, powerful dialogue, Sheldon, what you, you, you know, about trust and healing and keeping going, hearing the disclosures, rollerblading across Canada, first time not feeling alone and uh, giving First Nations people a voice because what you describe and experience is that experience for a lot of our people through the residential schools. It was physical abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, starvation. Um, and uh, no, we lift you up for leading like that. And again, you're the, you're the example of Akamemuk. Now, you were in hockey and that's sports. And there's also the abuse of power, like you talked about the, the trust between the coach and the players. And, and, and this goes to any other sporting sporting uh, uh, event or activity you know how do, how can we look at breaking the pattern of abuse in sports or in any place where there's an imbalance of power involving children and sports itself is is yes there's abuse there but is good sports really part of the answer too yeah well yeah i think you're 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 absolutely right on that perry and this is not just a hockey issue it's a societal issue and i think you're right it's it's about a balance of power and, and i think our best defense and what we and how we've tried to go about this is to build a confidence around uh, these issues and a clarity and an ability to to have the conversations and to speak and when our guts are telling us something's not right we need to be able to follow that follow that path and to be able to ask questions and and not you know, but I think right now we, we're not sure how to ask these questions because we're not really sure if it is or if it isn't. And when I talk about confidence and clarity, it's about, you know, we need to be very clear on what's right and what's wrong. Because a lot of times when we look at these issues, um, oh, I can't step in there. I can't step in here even though, you know, I know, I know this kid is at risk. And no, you know what? We do need to step in and we need to know, know how to do that. And and uh, it is our job to protect our children. And I think, you know, sports, if we look at the, lo- the, the most impact, I mean, the, the leading contributor to mental health issues in our country stem from adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. stem from kids being hurt for, for, for long periods of time, traumatic experiences, which we know uh, set those kids up to live you know, a certain way full of anxiety and for the rest of their lives, how do they manage that anxiety? How do they manage that, you know, that uneasiness with inside? And I think, you know, one of our best tools for that is sport and healthy sport and being active and being involved. And I think a lot of times we don't give enough credit to, you know, sometimes to the position of a teacher, to the position of a volunteer coach, to the position of a, a youth leader in our communities, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to you know, have those leaders in our community, um, you know, they are in a position to shape the lives of our young people. Because what we know is that most times kids, you know, that are, well, 95% of the time kids are being impacted, uh, you know, uh, within their home and, and uh, 
Um, you know, so when they go to that sporting event, um, you know, kids could be showing up there for a lot more reasons than to just be involved in sport. And I think that that has to be a big part of our coaching and, you know, being able to understand, you know, what's going on when a kid's acting out and, you know, but, but I think sport has a critical role to play. I think it's a very important tool, um, with, with the healing of mental health. I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, kids don't ever feel like they belong to anything when they're going through, um, you know, any forms of abuse, right? I don't fit here. I don't fit there. And I think sport gives them a sense of belonging, Mm -hmm. but it also gives them that sense of, um, you know, exercise, which we know is critical for calming the brain and calming the mind. And, And so if you look at those two aspects themselves, you know, uh, it's critical that we keep this going and we keep as many kids involved in sport as we can. Yeah, it's that whole idea of uh, balancing mentally, emotional, spiritual, mm-hmm. physical balance. You know, the four quadrants, the four sectors to one's being. So physical peace is, uh, and balance is key there uh, in a healthy way, no question. Now, I want to ask, like, the impact of, of sexual abuse on children, whether it's in sports or by the residential schools or in the child welfare system or even cyber abuse, like that's yeah. got impacts. It's got impacts on your mind, body, and spirit. What what have we learned, or what do you know about the impact of sexual abuse on the brain, or on the body, on the psyche, on on our spirits? Yeah. Can you share any thoughts on that? Well, Harry, I think you know one thing we know today, which we didn't know back in the day. Like back in the day, like back thirty years ago, when I, you know, when I was going through this or when we were young you and i or whatever it was like scars last a lifetime Mm -hmm. right well i think that there's a lot of meaning behind that and the meaning is is that yes these scars do last a lifetime and what what we've learned over time and i think through our ability to understand uh the developing brain of children i mean you know i mean the apple doesn't fall far from the tree well Mm -hmm. why doesn't the apple fall far from the tree it doesn't fall far from the tree because our kids' brains are learning what we're what we're doing. They're following us around. They're learning. They're learning from our teachings, right? So if our teachings and the teachings that are happening to these kids are in a very unhealthy way, and they're being hurt, and they're constantly in fear of who's going to be home, or is mom and dad going to be drunk when they get home? Is is this perpetrator going to be in my house when I get home? Is this whatever, right? I mean, kids' brains, we know, get built um, in a way that is just in this constant, you know, fight-or-flight mindset, Mm. right? The bear is chasing me 24-7, right? And that's that's what we know today. Mm. So how do we shut our brains off? Well, I know for me, drugs and alcohol work temporarily. (laughs) Then it almost killed me, right? If we keep chaos in our life, we, you know, our lives are just chaotic and a chaotic mess or we're angry all the time, it distracts from being with with who we're most afraid of, which is ourself. Mm-hmm. So we know that 85% of people that are in treatment centers or detox centers um, globally have disclosed early childhood abuse. So you look at the connection between child abuse and, and, uh, and addiction. It's huge, right? We know that kids that uh, have disclosed abuse are 15 times more likely to to attempt suicide, right? Not just think about it, but actually attempt it, right? That's a lot. We know that kids that have been abused are 26 times uh, more likely to experience youth homelessness. 
We know that kids that have been abused are 30 percent uh, greater risk of high school dropouts. Right. I mean, yeah. the list goes on. The list goes on, period. That's what we know today. Yeah. So, I mean, to know better is to do better. I mean, if you look at what I just described to you, addiction, you know, homelessness, uh, mental health issues, suicide. I mean, what are some of the biggest crises that we have in our in our country today? I mean, it's those things. Mm-hmm. Right. It's those things. And I think that we 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 know better today. And to be able to know better is to do better. And we need to get to these kids and to these individuals earlier so that we can start helping them and prevent them from going down these paths where we're just, you know, where it's becoming almost um, unaffordable as a country. But look at the amount of lives that we're losing. Yeah, it's like it's like invest now or there's greater costs down the road. Right. So it's like the sexual abuse is trauma. And, and sooner That's you deal right. with that and set up the proper mechanisms and support systems, everything else in place, you're going to keep people out of the healthcare system. So, like, you've described it. Can you, what more needs to be done to fix this? Like, you, you, we talked about catching it early or, or yeah. uh, programs and services or institutions, wraparounds, supports up front. Makes sense. What uh, Can you expand on that? Any more of the thoughts yeah. on that? Because we have a lot of <laughs> listeners in the federal government, provincial governments, because this is now we're, we're talking to cities, provinces, and, and policy legislative makers. Here's some yeah. things that can be done so that we have huge cost savings down the road in the system, social system, healthcare system, welfare system, the justice system, the list will go on. What are your thoughts? Well, I, like Perry, I mean, you know, I mean, when we first... Well, I, I was asked to go down to speak at the uh, First Lady of Colorado's uh, fundraising dinner. And their charity their charity that they were donating that money to was going to, it's called the Ralston House in Colorado. Well, the Ralston House in Colorado was one of 900 child advocacy centers that they had down there. But, you know, they were more focused on um, the investigative piece, but coordinating that, right? So having the, the entities um, working together, so we brought that concept back to the chief of police here in Calgary. Um, and basically what we knew at the time, the way it worked was a child and family would come into the system and none of the systems talked to each other. Mm. Nobody talked to each other. So you want to talk about individuals being lost in the system. Like you get lost in the system because the systems are disjointed. Mm-hmm. And, and so the whole concept of the Child Advocacy Centre was to allow for all of the agencies that had the legislative mandate uh, around child protection to actually work together and and to be able to sit around a table and discuss the best options to to a help this child and family right because not lots of times we can't just help the, the child because the problems in the family so and it's not just a police issue this is not just a courts issue this is a health issue this is a child and family services issue. This is a this is a uh, education issue, and it's a community issue. Mm-hmm. So we need everybody around the table to to come up with a plan. And and I think you know from early on, I mean, the numbers that we were seeing and the benefits that we that we saw by being able to coordinate the systems and have people come through one door uh, were astronomical. I mean, kids did one interview, right? not six, right? And now they don't even have to go into the courtroom. They're doing it from from the Child Advocacy Center via satellite. But I think that's one part of it. And I think we put a lot of, we put a lot of um, 
uh, emphasis on being able to tell her if we tell our story everything's going to be great if bad bad person goes to jail my life's perfect and that's not the case mm. being able to tell your story is a piece of it the other piece of it is to be able to do we need to get healthy because if we can get healthy and find a way out we can be better in our communities to help others that might be struggling in the same way and I think, you know, that's one thing I learned is that when I told my story, I almost got worse than before I told it. And and I think, you know, so when we look at this as a community, Perry, when we look at any community, large or small, we have to take these issues on as mm -hmm. a coordinated community approach. And when I look at these issues, these are about leadership. These issues fall under leadership because when we, when we make a statement to say that this is important whether it's in our organization or in our communities and this is we are going to take this on and this is that is a leadership statement right mm -hmm. and and to me that's where these issues um, need to get to for that significant change to happen in our communities but then there's got to be you know those you know we can we got to be able to have the follow-up within the systems to say okay you know, we have to work differently mm. to get better results. I mean, it seems like for a long, long time, we've been doing the same, same thing, expecting a different result. And yeah. I think what we've done in Alberta is we created a coordinated event throughout the province so that we've got eight child, uh, child abuse centers all working together, coordinated together, sharing information uh, amongst each other so that we can be the best we can to reintegrate that child and help that family back into our communities early. Mm. That's a strong message. Work together. Institutional yeah. programs. Talk together. Collaborate. Communicate. Work together. It's all about children. That's a strong message. This next question, when you, when you were awarded shall, the Order of Canada in 2015, you told the Governor General David Johnson that you didn't think that you would have been given that award for working on sexual abuse 10 years before. Uh, why not? And, and what's changed? Yeah. You know, when, when I told my story in 1997, I mean, we nobody wanted to talk about these issues. You know, Sheldon Kennedy could clear a kitchen and uh, pretty quickly. And uh, it was a scary, scary topic. Uh, it still is, still is, but we've come a long ways. And the issues that I represented, child abuse issues, child sexual abuse issues, uh, you know, never never really received any, any awards. They weren't acknowledged at that level. Um, you know, and I think when I, I remember when I got the call and, and I, you know, I told um, Governor General, well, um, David and, and Sharon, his wife, who, you know, were, became good friends. And I feel, um, you know, it was, it was really, this represented not Sheldon, this rep, this, I accepted that word on behalf of the issues, because I think that it was just so important that the issues got acknowledged at that level. Because when I talked mm. earlier in our podcast about leadership and positioning these things that, you know, that brought a, a, a level of importance to these issues that were never there before. And, uh, and to me, it was about hope. Because I think when people saw Sheldon Kennedy as this drunk, this kid that was in jail, this kid that was in seven treatment centers, this, this you know, loser guy right this troublemaking nhl guy why would he throw away his career geez you know and being able to you know have sheldon get sober 
and to be able to start piecing his life together and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, get to a point where, you know, um, you know, we're receiving the order of Canada. I think that that gave a lot of people and should give a lot of people hope because I was the last person that people would have ever thought would have received an order of Canada. I can tell you that. Hmm. And I think that, you know, um, there's always hope mm-hmm. for people to get their life back. It may be, it may not be perfect, but I don't think life is perfect. I think, you know, it, life is about practice. We need to practice continually every day to get better. And if we don't take action and we don't practice, we don't get better. And I keep it that simple. And I have to keep it that simple, you know. I mean, you can't go out once and be the best hunter in the world. Right? Yeah. You got to practice. You got to learn. You got to listen. You got to get up. You got to go out. You got to practice to become the best hunter, uh, if that's what you choose to be. And and I'm, you know, for me in recovery, I gotta, I gotta practice my well-being on a daily basis to keep getting better. You know, yeah. I got a little guy at home, little two-year-old, two and a half-year-old, a right? Like, I want to keep being a better dad, right? Yeah. Keep growing patience. I need patience, and uh, you know, I ask for that all the time. So. That's awesome. Now, I want to switch to something. Val and I loved watching. You. My wife Valerie loved watching you guys win the Battle of the Blades, and uh, that was exciting. <laughs> and you switched from being a, a hockey player to a figure skater, and uh, there were some pretty tough moves on there. But what did that experience mean for you personally? Well, it was awesome. That was an awesome experience, Perry. And I'm, you know, I mean, I'm obviously, we had a lot of fun, and I'm so glad you and Val were able to make one of the shows. And uh, but, you know, it was it was more than just going from hockey to figure skating for me. I mean, I lost the love of my ga- love of the game. I lost my love of of competing. And one of the biggest shames and guilts that I had um, in my life was. Um, you know, not giving myself the best opportunity I could to perform mm. in my NHL career. I never lifted a weight. I mean, I just, you know, everything that went on in my life, I hated it. So this gave me a chance to prepare and, you know, and go at it uh, 100%. And I just, I never in my life ever believed or thought that I would have a chance to, to do this, to do it. And that's what it was. It was fun. Because, you know what, people wanted to talk NHL hockey with Sheldon and you know what, Sheldon's experience, because of what happened to me as a kid, it just wasn't fun. And that's what happens is that the love of life is stolen from you when, you, when, you're, when you've been hurt by any forms of child abuse. You just lose that love of being a child and, and the fun. And, and that was no different for me. So, you know, that's what Battle of the Blades was, was fun. And you know what, and I loved being on the ice again. And that was a feeling that I hadn't really had since I was 12. So that was... You know, and be able to win it. Who would have thought the old guy snuck in there, hey? <laughs> old, hey? Yeah. I couldn't even touch my toes when I got the call, and I <laughs> so you I had to stretch and get in shape, and, you know, away we went. You Barry. pulled it off. You guys pulled it off. So proud of you. <laughs> we pulled it off. So, listen, uh, you know, that hope is a very important word, and uh, there's that old saying, like, always try to leave more hope when you leave a room than when you walked into it. And, and you... Obviously, you definitely have provided hope to a lot of people listening, you know, about uh, the trauma from sexual abuse and, and how you, you need to and have to rise above that and be a better person and, and keep going. And that's really what you're doing, providing hope to a lot of people listening. But for you personally, 
And I always close off with this question to my guests on the on the podcast. Uh, what gives you hope? You know, it's 2020. We're, we're in the middle of COVID-19 pandemic. Um, 2021's around the corner. What gives Sheldon Kennedy hope? Well, I think, Perry, you know what? Here's you and I talking about child sexual abuse and the impact and what we can do to be better. And, you know, I mean, to me, I think, you know, this is, this is, this is gives me hope these types of conversations and i think you know there has been a major shift and we've seen it and you know this whole week in the winnipeg free press there's an art there's all you know there's a six six piece series on uh on you know connecting the dots on how does graham james operate in our communities Mm -hmm. right and and i think it's huge and i think so you know what i think gives me hope Perry is that you know not only can we talk and we're having a podcast on this but you know I think that we're seeing people recover and what gives me hope is when when you hear of another person coming through the dark and into the light and and I want and I like hearing how they did it and what they continually do to to stay there mm-hmm. because you know what these issues we got to show people the way out this is not just about telling our stories in the dark this is about finding a way out. And so we hear more and more and more and more people, you know, getting to a good place, and, you know, and out of those dark places and recovering from addiction or, you know, being able to, to get through those child abuse cases or the, you know, the impacts of residential school. And I think when I see my little guy and I see, you know, a little two and a half year old and, you know, we're going to go through sports, we're going to go through schools, we're going to, you know, and I see organizations having things in place to address these issues, you know, and it keeps getting better all the time. I mean, that gives me hope. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, and, you know, and I think he, he, he just keeps it simple for me. And I think that's what I got to do. I sometimes get ahead of myself. And I think when I can keep bringing, bringing it back to the basics, right, to the, to the basics, you know, where's, where, where am I at? What balance do I have here spiritually? emotionally physically right and uh and and uh mentally like you know where am i at and i think you know if i can keep it that simple perry there's lots of hope to go forward in the future well i think that's a a very powerful statement to to close our podcast off on on sheldon and uh like i said earlier on you you are a great example of akamemuk persevere don't ever give up and you've provided a lot of hope for a lot of people across this land and basically throughout the world. So thank you so much for what you do and what you've done for uh, raising a light on a very, very serious issue about sexual abuse yeah. against children. And we always say once you start exposing things to the light of day, they're exposed and uh, you can deal with things. And uh, yeah. thank you so much for your for coming yeah. on to the Akamemuk Podcast. Thank you, Perry. And I just want to close on on uh saying thank you to you um you know i mean obviously we're friends but uh uh more than more than friends uh, i know what you've done uh in in your time in office and i just want to say thank you i mean you know what you've done you've left uh you know not only the first nations people but our country in a better place uh because of your work yours and and i and i know val was a big part of uh, supporting you and, and uh, I just want to say thank you for that period thank you for having this conversation with me today I think this is important and this is where it begins alright thanks again Sheldon yeah thanks Perry all the best yeah bye bye
And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Alchemaments podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Thank you.